1: Welcome to Go Green Radio. I'm your host, Jill Buck, and today is just going to be a whole lot of fun because we're going to be talking to my interns for the summer, Lauren Ivey and my own daughter, Katie Buck. Um, They got into something I'll bet they didn't plan on when they signed up to be Go Green interns. Uh, I took them to jail this week. I got uh, a chance to show them the greenest jail in America, or one of them, and it's right in our own backyard, the Alameda County Santa Rita Jail. And so we got to go for a tour. We're going to talk all about it in just a few moments. Uh, I'm very excited to introduce uh, Lauren Ivey. She is my intern, my Ivy League intern, Lauren Ivey. She's a junior at Princeton University, and she's studying architecture, and she has got a really interesting Uh, point of view and perspective on 21st century architecture, and she's going to talk to us about that and then talk to us about how green jails play into her interest in green architecture. So welcome to Go Green Radio, Lauren. It's so great to have you on. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Well, I would love for you to introduce yourself to Go Green Radio listeners to give them sort of a feel for who you are, where you're from, and help them feel like you're their uh, their new best friend on Go Green Radio.
2: Okay.
3: Uh, well, my name is Lauren Ivey, as you already introduced me. Um, I actually grew up in California's Bay Area in Pleasanton, um, and I'm a junior at Princeton University, As and you told everyone, I'm majoring in architecture, and I'm pursuing a certificate in the Urban Studies program.
1: That's so awesome. Now, why did you choose architecture as your major? What interests? You about that field? It's actually kind of a funny story, because initially,
3: when I went into Princeton University, I was convinced that I would become a lawyer, and I wanted to major in either anthropology, sociology, or psychology, but... Um I happened to take an art class, my freshman spring, which is the um, the last semester of your freshman year, and I fell in love with the drawing class so that summer last summer, I decided to research every single major that you can have at Princeton University that was not um, pre med or science oriented. And I came across architecture, and I decided that it was kind of the perfect mixture of art and design and social studies at the same time, because it really does incorporate um, what I was interested in before, like the anthropology, the sociology, and the psychology aspect of what I was um, first studying. But it's
1: creative. Absolutely. Now, you also are going to be studying urban studies. Mm -hmm. What exactly is that, and, and what draws you to that field?
3: Um, well, urban studies is kind of it 's basically the study of human society and the study of humans on a social scale that analyzes how humans interact in like the larger urban environment, just watching humans as they as they live their lives in cities in rural areas and completely suburban areas and urban areas, and just looking at those little interactions and how that kind of shapes different communities um, i f- I took my first urban studies class with Professor Douglas Massey, who's a sociology professor at Princeton University, and he was amazing. And I kind of just became obsessed with this very social study of humans on this giant scale. Um, He he wrote this book. It's called Strangers in a Strange Land. And it pretty much follows human evolution from, I guess, a very evolutionary standpoint, um, really just following their social nature and then how that in how that influences their interaction in modern cities. So it was just really a, a great study that I thought it was so interesting. And then relating back to the original major that I had come into Princeton with that I was thinking I would become a lawyer and go into anthropology, anthropology or something similar. Um, I realized that urban studies is the basic way to study and control human behavior because how you shape one's environment really powerfully influences one's interactions with the surrounding individuals and the society at large. So by combining my architecture major with my urban studies certificate, um, I think I did a good job of incorporating the sociology and anthropology that I was interested in, but at the same time at a creative design scale, which is really exciting for me.
1: Well, and what's the difference between urban studies and urban planning? Because one of our other interns, Alexine, is studying urban planning at USC. What's the difference?
3: Of course, well, urban studies is obviously we're just studying the interactions and you're kind of looking into policies or organizations and groups that would influence um, these little little social enclaves that are created within society. And oftentimes when you're looking at urban studies, you, you take into account um, race, ethnicity, age, economic status, and you're, it's almost like a statistical kind of study of humans because you're just you're pretty much just gathering as much information as you can about this specific urban area. But with urban planning, you're taking the information that you've learned from the urban studies and you're creating whatever community it is that you're deciding to create. So urban planning is kind of like the the ultimate goal of urban studies to take everything that you've learned from following people and learning about their nature and learning kind of what works in a community or an area and then building, creating a little community based off of that study so it's as successful and efficient as possible.
1: So no doubt these fields go hand in hand. And, and the hope for somebody in my generation looking at somebody in your generation is that we would have young minds that would be planning our, you know, our cities and communities in the future with a bent towards sustainability. Um, I would venture to say, based on what we've seen out of, you know, urban planning over the last 50 years in the U.S., maybe we didn't have as much of a focus on sustainability as we could have. Um, and I don't know, you know, you're studying at one of the finest universities in the world. Um, how much do you encounter sustainability um, issues and, and, you know, lectures within your, your classes? Of
3: course, of course. Um, well, I took my first urban studies courses this year and my architectural studios this um, spring as well, so I guess I'm relatively new to it. And interestingly, we didn't discuss sustainability that much at all. We had a few lectures on um, the upcoming because it is, such a new popular topic these days as architecture Mm -hmm. is very important on how you can do sustainable architecture, but it definitely was not um, a major topic of interest at all, and I actually hadn't really thought about sustainable architecture and urban planning until I started your internship this summer, and it just kind of opened up this entire new field and um, changed the way I was thinking about designing and building communities.
1: Well, I'm glad to hear that. That thrills me to death <laughs> because, um, you know, of all the things that I could hope for with the Go Green initiative and with what we're trying to accomplish, it would be just that, that, you know, whether whether students end up going into what would be considered green fields or not, if they even begin to think about sustainability in whatever path or vocation they choose, then that thrills me to death. Um, Lauren, tell us, have there been specific authors or works that have Kind of started to influence your interest in urban studies. We'll, we'll go towards the sustainability stuff in a little bit, but I'd like to talk a little bit more about urban studies. Who who's really influenced you there?
3: Um well obviously I would say firstly it was um Professor Massey, who was my first urban studies professor. And then there were two books that I read throughout his course that I just thought were so interesting and they really just incorporated everything that I had been interested in when I was um first entered college. And the first one is it's called The Death and Life of Great American Cities by Jane Jacobs. It was um it's actually an older book, nineteen sixty one, but its influence on urban studies have been huge and pretty much the book is just um, it's a critique of modernist planning policies which were pretty much um, in the mid uh, 20th, in the mid 20th century the government was trying to find a way to provide um, housing equal uh, affordable housing for people of lower economic status coming out of the war and pretty much what happened was they were clustering groups of lower economic status people in these giant, planned communities, but they weren't providing them with any kind of utilities, and pretty much we learned from this experiment to not do that. And what she really um, talked about so much, which was so important, and what was actually talked about in the, um, the Revision Dallas project that we've been following through this internship this summer is pretty much this, the importance of trying to incorporate people of all different diverse economic backgrounds and businesses into one community. So that's really what she talked about. She talked about how you need to make sure that when you're planning a city or community, that you need to provide a diversity of businesses, a diversity of educational programs, policies, so that there's just opportunity for everyone at all times. Um, And so I thought that that was just really
1: something that I had never thought about. Um, it seems the, so simple, doesn't it? But And yet it's so profound, you know, exactly, um, providing exactly. things that will actually, you know, entertain, stimulate, educate the people who live in the area that you're, the community that you're creating. It makes perfect sense. Now what about, um, you know, your interest in architectural study? What's something that you've really latched onto? That's a huge field. I mean, you could be building everything from, you know, baseball coliseums, to, you know, corporate structures, to residential units, to condos, to, you know, anything. What is it that's really sort of sparked your fascination or interest in the field of architecture? Um, Well, most recently I have become,
3: I guess you could almost say obsessed with the architecture of prisons. And I think, that they are such an interesting type of building or type of design to study um, in terms of architecture because they are federally funded facilities and they're necessary to our current society. They're something that we have to incorporate into a bunch of different urban plans. And um, they require a lot of energy. They require specific Space and specific environments, and there's just a lot of requirements surrounding them, but at the same time it makes their architecture super interesting because there are ways to shape the internal architectural space so that inmates can cohabitate and cooperate at a much safer level. Um, so I thought that that was absolutely fascinating for something that is necessary. Um, and I think that in architecture that was something that just really, really sparked my interest
1: is there is there much information out there I mean you and I have talked about this somewhat but um you know it, I'm suspecting and I could be wrong that there isn't a class that's offered at the moment at Princeton talking about green jails maybe there is no. there is not <laughs> but but is this is this a field that you could almost kind of invent. I mean, I just haven't seen that much out there. I mean, are there textbooks on this? Are there experts on green jails? Or are you going to be the first, Lauren?
3: I doubt I'll be the first. I'm sure that this has been talked about um, uh, many times before, but I think that... um, Now, like in our current economic state and the current environment state, I think it will be talked about a lot more um, just because people are seeing it as a necessity for prisons and jails to go green since they're housing so many individuals and they're taking so much space up. But at the same time, we can't just obliterate all prisons and decide that we will not have a prison system anymore. Um, So it's definitely new and it's rising, and there's some information out there on um, green prisons. But mostly they are about retrofitting prisons, about how to do um, policies within prisons that were already built to help change the energy consumption within rather than building entire prisons from scratch as green architectural designs, which is something that will be really interesting to see in the future. That is
1: interesting, and I mean, you and I—we're going to talk about our jail tour of a of a green or a jail that's going green that we took yesterday. Um, because I really do want to get into this. We saw some interesting things, and we—I think we learned a lot. Um, but the fact is. At the end of the day, jails are funded by taxpayer dollars, and if we're able to conserve energy, conserve water, all these utilities um, that are used in jails, of course, we're saving taxpayer dollars, and not to mention the fact that you know all those resources that are saved can be used in other applications throughout the community. So I think it's a really exciting opportunity um, to, to look at cost savings that could either be applied to the community at large or to other facets of running a successful corrections facility. Well, folks, in just a few moments, we are going to be right back after these commercial breaks. We're going to be talking more with Lauren Ivy, our Ivy League intern for the Go Green Initiative, and we're going to be talking about green jails um, and more about what we saw yesterday when we visited the Alameda County Santa Rita Jail, and their efforts to go green are fascinating, so don't go away. We'll be right back in
0: just a moment. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com.
2: If you want to put the pet back in your step, Chad Lafferty says just what you're looking for.
0: Want pure inspiration and great ideas for action? Want to become successful beyond your hopes and dreams? Then tune in to Millionaire Mentor with best-selling author, one of the world's leading women entrepreneurs, and host, Luanne Mitchell-Halter. Luanne and her guests, all masters of global inspiration, share their secrets to manifesting and positive daily mental exercise principles. From how to get affordable health care, to billionaire mentality, and bankrupt no more imagery, Millionaire Mentor dares you to live the life you love, and Love the life you live. Millionaire Mentor with Luanne Mitchell-Halter broadcasts each Wednesday at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America channel. Millionaire Mentor, achieve your greatest heights. Have you ever thought about having your own Internet talk show? Well, if you said yes, then click About Us. Then click Be a Host to get more information. Or just call Jeff Spinard. At 480 294 Say that again? 480 294 6417. VoiceAmerica.com
1: Welcome back to Go Green Radio. We're talking about going green behind bars. I'll bet you that my interns never imagined that when they signed up to be an intern for the Go Green Initiative, which is now, I'm very happy to say, the largest environmental education program in the world. We're operating on four continents in all 50 states, and people involved in the Go Green Initiative are doing great things to help schools and communities uh, live a more sustainable lifestyle. My interns got to take a very unusual VIP tour of our local county jail. The Alameda County Jail in Pleasanton, or actually Dublin, California, has taken tremendous strides to go green. And my interns got to go behind bars yesterday to see how it all works. My guest right now is Lauren Ivy. She's a junior at Princeton. She's studying architecture and has a passion for green jails. Lauren, welcome back to Go Green Radio. Hi, Jill. Thank you. Well, you really got to, uh, to see quite a bit. We were at the jail yesterday for about three hours. Talk mm-hmm. to our listeners for a little bit about... What you saw, and then we'll get back into how that parlays into your major in school and what you hope to do with it. But talk to us a little bit about what you saw on your visit to Santa Rita Jail. Okay, so
3: um, the Santa Rita Jail is about 20 years old. So um, we were mo- what it, what the Santa Rita Jail is mostly looking into in, looking into right now is retrofitting a lot of its um, utilities and a lot of its policies within instead of um, kind of it. It isn't a fully architectural structure, Um, um, a new green architectural structure. structure. It's not that. It's uh, using new policies and programs, which is very exciting, and it's definitely a step in the um, right direction for going green, especially as it relates to the prison system. Right. Um, The three main things that we looked at at, on our tour yesterday were we looked at the hydrogen fuel cell, which was, I believe, um, it opened
1: in 2006. Yep, I was there. It was really cool when they flipped the switch. That was pretty revolutionary. And I think, actually, the hydrogen fuel cell at the Santa Rita Jail was the first hydrogen fuel cell that was operational in the state of California. That was big news. But go right ahead. You were telling us. Oh, we looked at the hydrogen fuel cell, which was
3: pretty much produces energy for all of the prison. And for such a huge prison, it was relatively small, which kind of surprised me. It's like this little hydrogen fuel cell system. And uh, to be honest, I don't know much about... Uh, chemistry or that kind of physics, but it looked
1: pretty nifty. Um, and then the it's second clean, scene, don't you think? I mean, that's one of the things that strikes exactly. me. Exactly. When you think of a power plant, and really that is, it's a little power plant, and it is small. It's about the size of a little woodshed or something, maybe a little bit larger than that. But um, it, there, were, there was no dust. There was no mm-hmm. smell. Um, and when you think of generating enough electricity to power about Sixty to eighty percent of a four thousand person structure um, i I would expect air pollution, and there just there wasn 't any It was amazingly clean it was very clean and it,
3: it smelled great the whole area didn 't smell anything like a power plant yeah, it was amazing
1: it was amazing now what else did you see
3: um, the, I think the second and probably the actually one of the most important facets of the facility that we looked at were the solar panels um, on the roofs of the entire prison, which was really exciting because uh, let's see, they had the. They were set on the roofs of um, all the little housing units of the prison, and they provide about 30% of the energy for the prison. And we went yesterday, and it must have been maybe high 90s, possibly low 100s, and they were telling us on our tour that they were probably back-feeding into the energy system just because of all the energy that they were creating just from solar power, power alone. And um, they also told us, that, which was super exciting, that, on a blackout, they could provide their own energy for up to three days. Yeah, pretty
1: amazing. And, you know, I mean, that's really important for security purposes. If you have 4,000 inmates in, a you know, a, a community where within easy walking distance you've got a pretty huge population, um, if there were some sort of natural disaster, earthquake, what have you, um, you know, you really don't want to have to move those prisoners around any more than you have to. And so if it's self-sustaining, particularly when it comes to energy use, that's pretty important. And, and so they were able to do that with a combination of many energy systems. But I thought that was pretty – I mean, when you're talking about becoming an architect, I mean, that's, that you know, duplicity of, of energy and utility is important for a jail or a hotel or a school or any right. structure that you're building.
3: Yeah, and I, what I really liked about the solar panels is they seemed relatively easy to um, to apply to the facility. They pretty much were just on the roof, and they were actually recyclable. So whenever they had to replace them, they weren't um, adding waste to the environment, which I thought was really great. Well, and I just see these solar panels as something that you can apply to any structure um, to help conserve energy and just use our natural resources instead of fossil fuels that are um, just
1: building up the atmosphere. Absolutely. And, you know, this particular jail facility is is not unlike others. You know, you don't usually find jails, um, you know, out in the woods, although there are some, but typically because of security purposes, brush and and woods are going to be cleared away from the jail so that you have open skies, which means that the sun can shine right on top of the roof without any encumbrance except maybe clouds or nighttime, <laughs> you know. So um, I think that that's actually kind of a unique feature of a lot of correctional facilities. You know, they, they tend to be clear of, of, you know, tall trees and brush. So solar panels, you know, would be, pretty applicable on, on a number of different correctional facilities, I would think.
3: Mm-hmm. Definitely.
1: And what else did you see? We saw some other cool stuff. Uh, we were able to actually go into one of the, or
3: the laundry room of the prison, um, and they took us, they were uh, friendly enough to take us to the laundry room and kind of show us the whole water system that they use for just the laundry because they had about, um, I think maybe 4,000 prisoners, and they have to provide laundry for that many prisoners. So these machines are running constantly, continuously. And they showed us the water system and how it repumps pumps recycled water from the rinsing cycles of the laundry machines back into the next cycle. So it's conserving energy, kind, kind of like a gray water system. But um, I thought that was really exciting that they were taking into account the water
1: use that they were using for such a large facility. Well, and in California, especially in other states that are affected by drought, um, you know, that's hugely important. California is in its third year of drought. So anytime that you have a facility that large, like a correctional facility or, you know, the same could be said of hotels or, you know, other large facilities, when they have an opportunity to save that much water. I think they were seeing what, like 5,000 gallons a day or something or a week or something like that. That's a huge community benefit. Not only um, is it Saving on the water bill that taxpayers have to pay you know, for the, the correctional facility, but it's also saving water that we can use for other purposes in the community. So I think that's pretty important. What, what do you plan to take back to your professors when you, uh, when you talk about this internship and just in terms of the green jail aspect of what you learned? I mean, what would you tell your professors about what you saw and, and how that might be applied to uh, jails of the future? I think um,
3: what I will most take away from um, well, from my architectural experience so far, you, even though I'm very I've started off very fresh um, we haven't really thought about conserving our, conserving our materials or kind of thinking about how the structures that we're designing or building, how they would influence really the um, natural environment around them. That's not something that we've talked about in any of my courses just yet. Um, so I think that Well, as I go back to Princeton or as I go across my studies, I would really love to bring um, back how you can – I'm really almost just obsessed with this retrofitting of how something as easy as solar panels um, or using a gray water system can kind of just benefit uh, an entire area and create an entire structure. So I think that I would really like to think more almost as like a – creative retrofitting type of architecture where you use aspects of old buildings without necessarily tearing them down, but you can add creative design or creative building um, that incorporate old assets just really to make it more efficient um, and more beneficial to the environment in the future and to really just kind of think about – to always have in mind an environmental perspective on how this is going to be a major building or a major area or even a city community that's going to influence the natural environment, it's going to influence how people live. So it's really important to think how you can make it
1: energy efficient at the same time, which is even more beneficial to the community. Absolutely. And, you know, Lauren, I'm going to be asking you as as one of our interns to to start blogging. I know you and the other interns are going to be blogging about this. And so for all you Go Green Radio listeners out there, we're going to be talking about this more and more, that we've got a really great blend of interns who are going to be covering a number of topics. But if you go to the Go Green Initiative website, very soon you're going to see the work of these young, brilliant minds up on our blog. And that web address is www.gogreeninitiative.org. So get excited about that. You have every reason to get excited about it because, as you can clearly see, we've got a very bright mind here who's thinking about, um, the future in a, in a brand new way. And I, I would h- hasten to add that uh, Lauren's professors, I hope you're listening because uh, I think you're going to want to call on her in class to talk about some of the things that she's learned and her perspective. I want to go back to your major, um, particularly um, when it comes to urban studies and urban planning, because I just think um, this is such a fascinating field. And, of course, we've talked about this somewhat on Go Green Radio where we've talked about the urban revision project in Dallas. But what is it that, that really interests you about this combination of urban studies and urban planning, Lauren? Um, Initially, when I first started thinking about urban studies and
3: urban planning, I was definitely thinking it from my first, um, that first point of view that I was coming from when I entered college, that kind of anthropologist, sociologist, lawyer type point of view that really just wanted to study humans on a closer scale. Um, And I got really excited about how you can study humans on this larger scale and even influence their interactions just by shaping the um, the construction environment around them. But um, I think what I'm most excited about now, um, as I'm thinking about urban studies and urban planning, is the green aspect of it, and not necessarily just building, but kind of the economic aspect of it. I have been deeply influenced by um, um, the work of Van Jones, who just... Mm-hmm wrote a book in 2008 and it's called the green collar economy and what he does is throughout this book he really discusses the importance of and I'm going back to this diversity of incorporating just diverse a diversity of people at all levels um, business levels economic levels social levels into communities in order to in order to help the community survive um, and what he really argues is that in order for us to go green, for the United States as a nation to go green, we need to incorporate the lower rungs of our economic people, um, the lower, the people of lower status. We need to incorporate them successfully into our economy now, so that as we move forward with this new green economy, we could kind of move, fo- we could mobilize at a much faster and more successful rate that will just um, pretty much break our reliance on fossil fuels. And so, with this in mind. I'm really interested in rejuvenating um, urban areas that have possibly been left behind, that are kind of left in areas of industrial waste. Um, They're not getting the utilities that they need. And trying to help those communities, those poor inner city areas, pretty much just rejoin the the successful economy that we have now and hopefully help them rejoin an economy that's not dependent on um, our old industrial ways. Um, So I think that the social aspect of urban planning, urban studies just is really fascinating to me because you're helping people. You're helping people live better, more efficient lives, and with the green aspect in mind, you're helping um, our economy. You're helping the future of our environment at the same time if you're um, making that goal
1: of having them join a green economy. Which I think absolutely is so absolutely that is so exciting lauren and and I hope that Van Jones is listening to this. He uh, has done so much great work and and his book uh, is is really having a tremendous and positive impact on folks he 's out of Oakland, California, which is just a hop, skip, and a jump down the road from where Lauren and I live in Pleasanton, California, and now he's a special advisor in the White House, and I I really look for great things um, to come from his, not just his work, but the work of people like you, Lauren, who've been positively influenced by what he has to say. It's a great message. Well, folks, we've got to take a quick commercial break, but when we come back, we're going to tie up the knots uh, with Lauren and talk about how she's going to incorporate green architecture, urban studies, and this, this strong desire to help human beings and help our country and our economy. We're going to tie that all up in the next segment. So don't go away. We'll be right back with more Go Green Radio.
0: Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah! If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? And we're back. Bob from Scranton, you're on the air.
2: Hi, Ted. Love the show. Long-time
1: listener. First-time caller.
2: Thanks, Bob.
0: Is there a special someone out there you'd like to talk about?
1: There is, Ted. I recently lost a very big part of my life.
0: You'd been together a long
2: time?
1: Since college. This is for my belly, my paunch, my spare tire. I know we had some good times. God knows I'll never forget that night in Albuquerque with the burritos.
0: It's never easy to lose something that's been such a huge part of you, Bob. Where'd the magic go?
1: Well, I'd recently begun taking the stairs more and more instead of the elevator, and then we started seeing less and less of each other. One day... It was just gone.
2: Small step number 67. Take the stairs instead of the elevator or escalator. It's just one of the many small steps you can take to help you become a healthier, well, you. Get started at www.smallstep.gov and take a small step to get healthy.
0: A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck.
1: Welcome back to Go Green Radio, folks. I'm so proud because I've got one of my interns on today. In just a little while, we're going to talk to another one of my interns. Uh, we are talking to Lauren Ivy. She's our Ivy League intern this year for the Go Green Initiative. She's a junior at Princeton University studying architecture, and um, this summer, we're trying to get her some exposure to green architecture and sustainability as it relates to to the built environment that we that we have. Lauren, thanks for being on Go Green Radio with us today. We had a lot of fun, didn't we, yesterday yes. going to jail? <laughs> it was very exciting. Thank you. <laughs> I took Lauren and my daughter, Katie, uh, to the Alameda County Santa Rita Jail to see how they have gone green. They have several ways that they've done that. And now I want to talk to Lauren in a little bit more of a, a theoretical sense. How How do you see your interest in green prisons um correlating with your interest in green architecture and green practices, help us, you know, understand how your interests relate on those two areas. Um, well, luckily, these two
3: I, had, I would never, act, to be honest, I, as I've said earlier, I hadn't really been thinking about green um, construction or building or policies at all um, until this summer when I started your internship. But I had already had a previous interest in um, the architecture of prisons.
1: And for a variety of reasons. And when I started Talk to about studying... those reasons, because I saw you doing a lot of sketching yesterday. Talk to us about the reasons why, even before we started talking about going green, that you were interested in prisons. What, what kind of sparked your interest there? Um, well, it just went back to my really my sociological
3: interest in just studying humans. Um, I think that prisons are a great, almost an experimental zone because they're facilities that hold thousands of individuals at a time, and they're facilities that are based on trying to maintain and control behavior um, for whatever reasons that the prisoners are being held for. And it's through the structure, through the um, actual built design of that prison that you can um help to influence how individuals interact with each other and how individuals cooperate um and how pretty much just how manageable they are um there's in my study so far there's simple things just as as um, making windows as wide and as large as possible but of course um, as safe as possible at the same time, and little things like that really influence how the prisoners behave and I think that when I, w- I was we were walking through prison yesterday, I was taking note of the structure and um, the areas where the prisoners were, and just imagining how how their interactions would be influenced if you had kind of decided to change the structure just a little bit like what would how would a prisoner Interact with another prisoner if the ceiling was two feet higher, or if the ceiling was two feet lower, or if you decided to have three common rooms instead of two common rooms. Um, things like that I just thought were so interesting, especially because it's a facility that's going to be around for, I don't, I'm pretty sure the prison system isn't, isn't going to disappear. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I think if it's a facility that's required and it's something that's really important to how people interact with one another, I wanted to see how you can use almost experimental architecture to see how that would influence behavior. Um, right,
1: right. What did you see yesterday that you felt like, according to what you've studied so far, worked well? What I thought worked well was they
3: were very nice enough to let us into the facility, which was something that I was actually really surprised about and maybe even nervous at times. But um, I thought what worked well was they had had common areas for the prisoners, and I was really excited to see that. I was really excited to see that these prisoners weren't isolated all of the time um, because I think it's tough enough to be in prison alone because you're kind of barred from your outside community. Um, and I was just really excited to see how they had created high ceilings, which are um, is almost proven that high ceilings create um, – they, prov- they provide people with energy. Like studying in a room with a high ceiling, um, it makes people more creative than studying in a room with a low ceiling just because you're providing more airspace to think almost kind of um, – And I really liked that. They had high ceilings. They had open rooms. They had uh, lots of windows or as many windows as a prison could provide. Uh And the layout of the facility was especially interesting because they kept um, the prisoners in smaller units instead of clumping them into giant, um, like a massive unit, Mm -hmm. um, which I'm sure probably creates a feeling of community, and it also makes the prisoners easier to handle and to deal with. Um, So those things alone I just thought were Very fascinating. They had created little
1: pods or little units Mm -hmm. of um, housing clusters. Well, and it seemed to, I mean, the atmosphere was very relaxed. I mean, even when we were in the maximum security area, I think that, you know, I don't know, even when I go into a big, you know, facility where there's a lot of people all at once, even if it's shopping, which is something I love to do, um, you know, if it's very crowded, you tend to be more tense.
3: Exactly. The way
1: that this prison was laid out, you never really got that sense. And everybody seemed to be pretty relaxed just because people were grouped in very manageable, you know, areas and sizes. And, you know, it's very different than what you might imagine of a like an Alcatraz where, you know, you could hear all this yeah. noise and banging, clanging around. It wasn't like that at all. No, it was very nice. Now, in terms of of greening a prison, um, you know, just use your imagination. What things, you know, we saw some things that, you know, they had done to go green. What are some other things that you could imagine might be, you know, incorporated into green architecture and making a prison even more green? What things might be done? Well, um, from my study of prisons, one thing that I have come across is that most prison
3: facilities, they have to be generally low to the ground. They're not very tall facilities. They're um, lower level. They'll have like one or two floors. And you can actually design the roof of a building to collect water. And this water you could use, obviously you wouldn't use it for drinking water, but you would be able to use this water kind of as a gray water system Mm -hmm. to Pretty much power your laundry system, to flush your toilets, to use as sink water, um, to use as gar- gardening water for the landscape system. So that is definitely something you can think of just alone, just designing um, a prison roof in a way that it collects and traps water um, um, at one point. And then also the materials that you use, how you can construct um, a prison cell with using as little materials as possible, whether or not you're going to create like a pod-type style where it's several rooms connected by um, one almost like a gate-like jail cell bar that connects all the, every room. Mm-hmm. Well, that way you'd be using like less cement, you'd be using less um, wood or whatever materials they use to create those walls, or you would have several pods, several actual individual rooms, which would be using more um, material. So just those kind of basic things I think would be...
1: Very green. Absolutely. Well, and you know, I mean, there are things about prisons that are just like homes and schools and everything else. I mean, putting you know energy efficiency film on the windows, planting a tree where the afternoon sun shines so that the windows, you know, aren't filled up with hot sunlight, things like that. But I heard you say something interesting yesterday. You said, there are parts of this prison that remind me of middle school. yes. Okay.
3: Definitely. It was very, I think the thing that reminded me most of middle school from this particular prison was the fact that there was a giant quad. And it kind of reminded me about how in middle school you walk from class to class and everything's kind of centered around like a quad space. And then you have the little um, the little pods surrounding the quad space, which are classrooms, except in this case they were the housing facilities. Um, there's something very regimented and very calming, I guess, in the design of um, prisons, which would be for obvious reasons. Um, but then I found very similar architectural design in my own middle school, which is um, Harvest Park Middle School in Pleasanton. Right. It's kind of low to the ground, uh, based off of a quad-type style, and
1: calming architecture, like it seems to focus students. You're right, right. Well, and so the lesson that I took from that, and, you know, I learned, I learned so much more from my interns than I could ever teach you, but the lesson I took away from your comment was if we can find ways to green schools, if we can independently find ways to green prisons, the lessons learned can be you know, replicated across various types of structures. Absolutely. I think sometimes we have a tendency in our you know academic environments to be very pigeonholed. Um, and whether you're studying engineering or architecture or any other field you tend to get very hyper-focused on a certain pigeonhole. But one of the things that I'm hoping that students of your generation will do will be to think very broadly, hone down on things like, you know, I want to create green prisons. But then if you get an opportunity to interface with people who are building schools or building um, hotels, that some of these lessons won't have to be learned over and over again based on various sectors, that instead there will be opportunities to share these Lessons, you know mm-hmm. that's what I'm hoping I think that there's a tremendous amount of brain share you know with with folks like you who really can see similarities between some structures that other people they, they might miss those similarities and hence miss the opportunity to replicate some great green lessons or sustainability lessons I would venture to say there aren't a lot of folks who would think about you know, a middle school and a prison in the same thought. But you were absolutely spot on when you recognized that. And so if we learned some green lessons at the middle school or learned some green lessons at prison, then we should be sharing those great ideas. And and it really comes from, you know, people like you, Lauren, and this is what excites me so much about working with young interns just like you, is that you, you aren't, siloed in your thinking. Your thinking is so open and so broad, and I hope you never, never lose that. (laughs) Um, Before we go to our last commercial break with you, Lauren, tell us a little bit about what you're going to be working on this summer and what to look for in your blogs that are going to be up on the Go Green Initiative website. Of course. Uh, Well, this summer, uh, so far, I'm
3: planning on continuing following green prisons. Luckily enough, we were able to visit the Alameda County Jail yesterday, and what, I'm hope, what we're planning or hoping to visit next is the um, Alameda County Juvenile Justice Center in San Leandro, which actually just recently won awards for being one of the greenest prison facilities or detainment so- facilities um, in the nation. Yep. Um, And that's that's coming up.
1: (laughs) And actually, maybe we'll have you back on Go Green Radio, Lauren, and we'll talk about that. Well, folks, don't go away. We've got to take a quick commercial break, but we'll be back with another one of my interns and also one that is related to me, my daughter, Katie Buck, who was with us in jail yesterday. And she's going to talk about her experience as a Go Green Initiative intern. Don't go away. Back with more in just a moment.
0: Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Hey, how you doing? Educational videos,
3: top quality, right here. You'll never hear anyone selling education on the street. Yo, what's up, baby?
1: Want to learn some history?
2: I got live, learning, beautiful books
3: inside.
1: And don't expect anyone to just offer you an education. Who needs a high school diploma? Unfortunately, you can't buy a diploma from some guy with a briefcase.
3: But
2: there is one way you can get the educational skills you and your family need for free. With free family learning programs. Call 1-877-FAMLIT1 for information on free GED, computer training classes, and other family learning programs. That's one 1- one 877 I one Check it out, check it out. We your GED right here, guaranteed, ma. Huh? Come on, check it out. After all, you can't
1: get your education on the street. Free family learning programs from the National Center for Family Literacy. The first step to a better life. Brought to you by the National Center for Family Literacy and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. Folks, this is a fun day for me because as much as I love talking, I love listening as well. And really, I'm excited to have you listen to the reason that I am involved in the Go Green Initiative at all. My daughter, Katie Buck, I have three kids. She's the oldest. And it was really because of what I saw in her school uh, that I felt like, hey, you know, we could do better. We could be teaching our kids more about environmental education, how to conserve natural resources. And uh, that's what inspired me to write the Go Green initiative back in May of 2002. If you want to check that out, don't close this web browser. Open up a new web browser and go to www. GoGreenInitiative.org, and there you can read about the history of how the Go Green Initiative started, but i got to tell you, the guest that I'm bringing on right now is the reason I did it, my beloved daughter, Katie Buck, and I'm so excited to introduce her to Go Green Radio listeners. She has literally grown up with the Go Green Initiative. Uh, When I started it, she was an elementary school student. Now she's going to be a senior in high school. And uh, her middle school and her high school were the first in the nation to adopt the Go Green Initiative. Katie, tell us, how does it feel to start taking more of an adult role in the Go Green Initiative as an intern this summer? It feels really cool because um, I have
2: been on the receiving end of the Go Green Initiative, um, learning uh, from you and seeing it in my schools and growing up with it through all the schools I've gone through, Um, And now I get to develop um, ideas to help other people learn what I have learned. Um, I love researching and learning new
1: things um, that I get to put onto my blog, and now I get to talk on the radio. And I am so excited that she is. Um Katie has really gotten to do some fun things. Over the years, um, when her friends were going to Disneyland for spring break, I took her to a landfill. When her friends were off at uh, baseball games in the summer, I took her and her brother and sister to a recycled paper mill. She has gone on a lot of Go Green field trips. And yesterday was no exception. She got to go with me to jail. And, you know, I've got to say, I never thought in a million years that I would say, You know, of all the mother-daughter trips I could take, I'd be taking my daughter to jail. But uh, it actually was a great trip. And, uh, Katie, tell us, what did you expect to see when I told you that we would be looking for evidence that the Santa Rita Jail was going green? Well, I, I was expecting to
2: see maybe some recycling bins, but there was so much more than that. Not only were there, like, recycling bins around every corner, you know, we got to see the hydrogen fuel cell that produces 80% of the jail's electricity, and I also got to see uh, lots of the solar panels
1: on the roof. Yeah, that was pretty cool. Um, I probably should have told our interns not to wear heels and pantyhose and nice clothes, although we did. But we had to do some serious climbing to get up on the roofs to see the solar panels. Um, Tell our listeners what it was like when you got up on the roof of the jail and you saw the solar panels up on the roof. Well, yeah, it was definitely a challenge getting up there, getting up the ladder. But once we got up
2: there, it was so cool. The solar panels were pr- pretty much covered the roof. They actually have 9,000 solar panels on the roof, which is like more than three acres, which I thought was so cool. Um, it was cool also to learn that they produce thirty percent of the jail's electricity. So the jail was completely self-sufficient because of the hydrogen fuel cell and the solar panels.
1: Well, and what I think is so interesting about the way that the jail has done this is that, you know, a lot of taxpayers may say, hey, I know how much solar panels cost, or I know how much a f- hydrogen fuel cell costs. You know, we shouldn't be doing that at, at county facilities. But the fact is, the way that the jail has been accredited, and this is really due to the long time Alameda County uh sheriff charlie plummer he was able to get some uh, really avant-garde pu- public private partnerships so that between uh chevron energy solutions and pacific gas and electric um, the cost to taxpayers was pretty much nil in order to put these solar panels in and the hydrogen fuel cell in these were public private partnerships and yet the public reaped the benefit of saving on electricity costs i mean it really is taxpayers who bear the burden of that, but thanks to the foresight and the visionary leadership of Sheriff Charlie Plummer, the taxpayers were able to receive the benefit of lower electricity costs at the jail, even though they weren't actually paying for the solar panels and the hydrogen fuel cell, um, which have turned out to be tremendously successful projects Um, Now, Katie, you got to go into the laundry room and see the recycled water system. Um, We weren't looking at that from behind glass or from behind bars. We were right in the middle of it, weren't we? Talk to us about that experience. Well, I got to see, you know, all the, like,
2: huge washing machines and all the piping that transfers the water back through to be used again. So, you know, when I saw that, I was like, wow, that probably uses a lot of water. But then they took us back to where the piping was, and they showed us how the water gets to be reused again. And I thought that was really cool because seeing, you know, for 4,000 inmates, that's a lot of laundry
1: and a lot of water. So it was really cool to see how they recycled the water so they weren't just wasting water. Yeah, that was pretty amazing. And, And as I mentioned before, California is in its third year of drought, and, and we're ask, being asked to, you know, watch how much we water our grass and how much we wash our cars, and I'm happy to say I am respecting the drought. My van is a dirty mess. My minivan could really use a bath. How about it, Katie? And, uh, we're, but we're respecting the drought in our family. So um, that, was, that was really innovative, and I don't think that the county sheriff's office gets enough credit and enough publicity for doing their part to actually, you know, save water here in California. And I, I hope that other huge institutions like other county jails, we've got fifty two of them in California and across the nation are doing all they can to conserve water and other natural resources. Now Katie of course is my intern. She's also my daughter and I'm very proud of her. Uh she attends Amador Valley High School, which as I mentioned before, was the very first high school in the nation to be a Go Green initiative school, she's the section leader for the tubas in her school's marching band, and their marching band actually does quite a bit of recycling for the school. Uh, Katie, tell us, how do you feel about the band's role in helping your campus go green?
2: Well, we have a huge role, it seems like to me, because it seems like every week that we go to collect water bottles, there's more and more and more bottles. So I feel like we're really influencing um, our peers to be more active in going green, not just, you know, a couple classrooms, but the whole entire school at lunch and, you know, in every class that they go to there's recycling bins that we collect from and they just are full every
1: single week. Well, and you guys actually get to profit share from that, don't you? You guys get the money for the recycling. What kinds of things do you do with that money? What, What makes it fun for the band to recycle?
2: Well, all the money that we earn from um the recycling goes to the band council and the band council um we we actually elect our own band council so that, you know, they're representing us the way we want them to and they represent us well because when they take that money and put it to good things like, you know, sometimes we'll have a band movie night or something like that. So all, all we get the band council gets all the money and we really we have
1: a lot of fun with it. Well, one of the things that I think is so important um, in doing these kinds of things, and this is a lesson for anybody who's asking a campus or other segment of the community to recycle, is you know when you collect their plastic, paper, aluminum, what have you, if you can take some of that money and put it back into things that the community wants, whether it's a school campus and they want fun activities or whether it's an office environment and they want you know something great for the break room, when they can see that recyclables have value, that by separating their recyclables from the garbage, they can actually earn money to buy things that they want, uh, it's much less likely that students or your office mates are actually going to put those valuable recyclables in the trash. And I think that uh, Katie's band is just one great example of teaching the kids the economics of recycling. Why put something into the trash if it has value, if you could use it for something fun, like a band movie night? Well, Katie, in the, in the couple minutes we have left, talk to us about what you're hoping to learn through your summer internship with the Go Green initiative. What are you going to be working on? What should we be looking for in your blogs this summer?
2: Well, there's a lot of stuff that I hope to, um, you know, learn this summer. Uh, my blogs, you know, I actually just put up my uh, first blog this week um, on the jail, um, on the jail trip, and that was really fun. That was a really cool first experience for me. Um, I I guess I just hoped to uh, get good ideas to help more people go green, and I hope to keep learning um, the Go Green initiative while
1: hanging out with my mom. Well, I love that. I love hanging out with you too, Katie, and I'm really glad that we got to introduce you to our Go Green radio listeners. It won't be the last time, folks. Um, and I hope that you all, as we celebrate uh, Independence Day and for our listeners in the U.S., that you all have a very safe and happy Independence Day and Fourth of July celebrations. Next week on our show, we're going to be talking about uh, a new organization called the Center for Ecoliteracy, and that's going to be an exciting show, so you'll want to tune in for that. But until then, have a great week, and Go green.